A reading from the first book of Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. But it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to be poor and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. My son, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. A reading from Paul's first epistle to, from Yeah, his first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. However, God will do away with both of them. But the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are parts of Christ? Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Far from it. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
for you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. A reading from the gospel according to John chapter 1 verses 43 through 51. The next day, he decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to them, can anything come, anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, he is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so today is what is called the second Sunday after, we're going to be reading the scripture verses for the second Sunday after Epiphany, um, which is the third Sunday in Epiphany. And we go all the way until the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, which is seven Sundays. And then we get to Transfiguration Sunday, uh, which is the culmination of Epiphany uh, or of uh, Christ being revealed. So let's pray and then get into these scriptures for the day. Uh, Father, we come here to glorify your name. We pray that you would open our eyes to see your glory, uh, to see the things that your scriptures talk about in truth, that you'd give us wisdom, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit uh, to be active living temples for you, as your word says, and that it would culminate today in a higher degree of praise, a higher degree of worship of you. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, this one, I guess this, uh, these scriptures will be a little bit different. Um, I decided just to do each one separately and just kind of topically and um, a little bit more piecemeal than normal. Uh, so, uh, today we're just actually just going to go through the three sections. We're not going to do psalm, the psalm as normal. Oh, that's a good one. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Read it on your own time. Uh, but we're just going to go through each one and just kind of look at some, some themes and general things um, and even some uh, maybe more topical things that stuck out to me more in these scriptures. So, 1 Samuel 3. We've got the account of Samuel being called by the Lord. This, these scriptures are in Epiphany. 
uh, because the Lord is, it clearly says that at that time that Samuel didn't know the Lord because he hadn't yet revealed himself to him. And so this is the Lord, this is Yahweh revealing himself to Samuel. This is Samuel's calling into, um, this is how, uh, well, it's not exactly how the book of Samuel starts, but it's, it's in the first couple chapters. Um, so before, uh, Samuel's parents, who were Hannah, and I forget how to pronounce his name, but he had two wives, and Hannah was one, and whatever her name was, was the other one, and uh, we don't get much out of her, but uh, she, but Hannah was barren, right, and she's praying that she would conceive, and she's getting older, and commits her firstborn to the Lord, to his service, uh, if the Lord would grant her a child, and then, then he does, then she does conceive, and uh, eventually takes Samuel to be in service at the temple. And so that's where we pick up the scripture verses. So one thing that just, um, I don't know how people do discipleship groups or whatever, or how, how like when we um, get together for household worship, we have worship and prayer, and then we chat, and then sometimes we eat, and then we usually make fun of each other. <laughs> that's kind of how our liturgy goes at the condo. Uh, and uh, that's kind of normal. But so we have times of prayer, you know, lightly. It's not, you know, an hour, hours long or anything, a few times a week. And so I just kind of, I think these scriptures remind us, uh, first off, that like when we're meeting here from prayer, it isn't any trite thing. There's, um, Josiah's had a heavy burden from the Lord. He's mentioned for this upcoming year to really be, a praying church and to pray specific things. And, um, and these are just good scriptures that remind us that the Lord loves to answer prayer and be careful because he might. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you might have to honor those vows before the Lord and, uh, and you know, give your children in service to the Lord. Not like that's the worst thing. Um, but, you know, the other thing is what I love about uh, this account of Samuel is Samuel's um, a young man. He's presumably, uh, he's, I don't remember if it says exactly he goes to the temple when he's eight, so this is sometime uh, before his teenage years. But uh, we don't have any idea of Samuel before this. All we know is that his mom was faithful. His mom uh, dedicated herself to the Lord, was fervent in prayer, um, and, and all that we can see was, was obedient and was a godly woman. And the Lord honors those generational blessings of, of fruit from the parents. Samuel is just along for the ride so far. And um, <coughs> we know he's got a godly mom. And now he's in service of the temple. And the Lord calls him. Right? It doesn't give us any indication of that the Lord thought that like Samuel there's going to be something special about him. The Lord just calls him. Uh, he chooses whom he chooses. And uh, Samuel was not the most likely candidate, right? But we do see those generational blessings that we get from, um, you know, we start seeing in, in Exodus, you know, 20 with the, in the Decalogue that, um, uh, you know, that there's going to be a thousands, like God will give, um, grace and blessings to thousands of generations of those who obey him and trust in him. And that's what we see here. 
because one thing that gets me, uh, just looking to make sure, as far as I know, I'm the only parent in the room um, right now, unless anybody has any announcements. No? Okay, we'll move on. Uh, is that, you know, when you, most parents will get this, is that uh, there is a different mindset when you're living single or probably even single or married without children. And then when you have children, a lot of your time and investment is in and sacrifice is for them. And so one of the, I think, generational blessings is thinking about um, how am I going to live my life now and how is it going to affect my children? We are spiritual creatures, right? We have spirits, we have souls. So there's even uh, ways to, how I think about it, I'm not saying I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying I've had this thought uh, is that even when I'm not around my kids, how I, my zeal for the Lord, what I do with my time, how I conduct myself, my character, all of that matters because that's transmitted in one way or another to my progeny, physical and spiritual. Um, because it's, we don't live in just a materialistic world that our kids are just affected by the things we do when they're around us. It's, um, you know, even if, you know, I had like, uh, uh, you know, it was, my dad had road rage quite a bit. Uh, I can remember some funny situations looking back and I'm like, that's just wild. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, that was, those are like silly things. Uh, why would you get mad? You know, even thinking that as a teenager. And then when I started driving... <laughs> I dealt with a lot of a lot of road rage, um, you know, simple things like that, like how we conduct ourselves. Like there are generational blessings; those, uh, even the you know spirits are are passed down. And so, uh, the Lord chooses to reveal Himself and calls Samuel in the night. Right? We this story frame isn't too unsimilar, right? With uh, Sarah and, and Hagar and, and Abraham of one man, two wives, one's barren, right? And we have the same framework of a storyline. And so when you see those things in scripture, there's a lot of, um, you know, like when Moses, uh, even though Moses is after Abraham, he says there's going to be a prophet that ar arises, you know, that uh, the people will listen to. And he's, Moses is prophesying about a prophet to come essentially the Christ, about Jesus. And so one of the, um, I, I don't, this isn't the first time, I didn't look it up. I think this is the, I'd have to look up, I think Abraham answers this way, here I am, or here I am, Lord. Samuel answers that way. Um, uh, Paul has a, a way of answering that way, of here I am, Lord, you know, on the road to Damascus. And but the, just the story frame of the barren child, right? There's um, uh, there's that similar storyline. So one of the things uh, just to be aware that it will help in your scripture reading is seeing those similar stories and how they overlap and um, how what is the greater story that they're telling, right? So in this context, one of those things is. From Genesis, who are we supposed to be looking for? Christ, the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent, right? There's going to be one that comes. There's an anointed one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. 
right? And he will bruise his heel and he'll crush his head. And so you're constantly looking through those figures and, you know, in the time of Samuel, it says the word of the Lord was not very prevalent. And this is uh, after judges, but before kings. And so just think about judges is like, uh, does Israel get any worse? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, apart from first century crucifying Christ himself, judges is, is my eyes, uh, in my opinion, is about as bad as Israel gets. Because at least, you know, you get to kings and God's like, you're not even supposed to need a king, but now you need a king. And at least someone's going to rule over you and you won't be like, doing whatever you guys want. At least there'll be some form of this hierarchy in government that in itself is a judgment on Israel that is gonna keep you guys from uh, cutting up prostitutes and raping your women, <laughs> essentially. Uh, and all the other things that happen in Judges. And so we're in the time of Samuel where um, the word of the Lord is seldom, and uh, morally, we're also not doing that good. <laughs> okay, so just to give a little bit of context, and the Lord starts calling someone, right? There's an individual, there's, uh, you see these figureheads, these, these federal heads, or um, these main mediators throughout the Old Testament, and so Samuel is one of those. That's why he gets, uh, in our English Bibles, two books, where in the Jewish scriptures, it wasn't normally two books, but same thing with Kings and Chronicles, but whatever. Um, and so the Lord calls Samuel, and even though it's a little interesting of how he says that the Samuel yet didn't know the Lord, and the Lord hadn't revealed himself to him. And so surely he was in the temple, and he knew about the Lord. And so what exactly does that mean? I've got a few questions. Uh, <laughs> and if you guys got the answers, you search it out and let me know. But he surely didn't, uh, he surely was coming into a way of knowing the Lord that we're going to see is like Moses, is like Abraham, like these giant figureheads throughout the Old Co Covenant. And his answer is, even though he thinks it's Eli, um, is what we would expect of a normal servant or what we expect of someone who's listening for the Lord. He says, here I am, right? Um, and then Eli gives him the, the right answer of tell him that, you're, that your servant is listening. And so the Lord tells uh, Samuel and essentially prophesies against Eli because Eli had let his sons commit adultery and didn't speak up and didn't do anything about it and which made him uh, complicit. And so um, one of the things I like about to bring out, at least in these scriptures, is uh, I really, in my own sinfulness, really wish the prosperity gospel was true. <laughs> I really do. I really wish it was like banana cream pie all the time and pot roast and... I haven't had dinner, so I'm really hungry and free pizza and money and like nothing but blessings all the time and, uh, and, and blessings in the way that I want them to be. And I wish my calling 
was uh, to something really nice and something really happy and something that really brings me uh, my own personal satisfaction and is not hard. I don't, eating, while eating good food, right? I think God's calling me to be an evangelist to the top tier bakers and chefs. <laughs> I think, uh, or I wish. But Samuel's calling and what he's calling, what the Lord's calling Samuel to is, uh, the Lord's not stupid. He knew Eli was going to ask him, <laughs> what did the Lord say? <laughs> it's not like the Lord was like, oh no, like, uh, like this was, you know, in a way, a trial for, for Samuel. His very first, as he's called to the Lord, he has to prophesy against <laughs> his spiritual father, against his boss, against the guy who's in charge of him. And like, that's not easy. And um, Samuel essentially passes the test and does, because he's saying, because the, the temptation there is, isn't, am I going to do this to make Eli feel good or not? The temptation is, am I going to honor the word of the Lord and let the word do the work? Am I going to trust in the Lord? Even though this is uh, a hard word for Eli, it's a hard word for Samuel too, because of what Eli's question is, what did he say? And he's like, well, <laughs> it's not good for you, Eli. Uh, nobody likes to be the bearer of bad news. And so, you know, just meditating and, and thinking on of, like, you know, there's other, like, like there's always these ob ob objections and obstacles to overcome in anything the Lord's calling you to. You know, uh, you know, it's with, with Gideon, there's fear. With Abraham, he has to leave his father's house and go to a completely unknown land and do what? Look for a place. And it's totally, you know, having to walk out in faith and, um, you know, you go to the, uh, when we get to like um, Philip and Nathaniel, they have to leave their business. They have to leave um, their economic, you know, source of, their source of, of economic growth and, and follow this rabbi guy who's walking around, you know, to some obscure places in Israel. And so, uh, it's my belief, I think the scriptures point towards that when the Lord calls you or when the Lord is revealing himself to you, he begins to, at the very least, reveal a calling. And I think a lot of times that, um, you know, if, if we're thinking biblically in terms of like John 3, that the spirit is beginning to birth people into the kingdom and that process alone in the natural takes nine months. And then, you know, there's an actual time of birth and whatnot. You know, as the Lord draws people in, I think he uses and gives them gifts and personalities and things from birth. And then in the kingdom submitted to Christ, God gives them a calling on how to use those things and begins to reveal what that calling is. And so that's something that's always intrigued me in just like conversing with other people of like where their burdens from the Lord is and how that fits into like um, just kind of like the ministry within the church. Like how are we going to expand the kingdom? Uh, what is the Lord going to do? Like what part of like when we look at First Corinthians that we're all members 
of the body, like what part of the body are you? And, you know, because uh, I just happened to work out today, that doesn't happen a lot. But, you know, if you were like missing an arm or something, it makes it harder to work out in a normal way. Or if you're missing a leg, or uh, if you guys like uh, roll over in the middle of the night and your arm's asleep, you do the like, like you can't use your arm. It's a lot harder, right? When you're missing members or, or members are, uh, uh, I don't want to say dead weight, but because that, I don't want to get into that. But, but you know, I, w- I would really call like everybody to think about like, what is the Lord's calling in your life? How are you going to be utilized in the body? How are you going to use your, your gifts, your personality, um, your motivations from the Lord? And how is he going to refine you? And how is he going to uh, use you within the church for that. And so uh, we're not going to talk too much about 1 Corinthians um, except for it's going to fit into the pattern of evangelism and revelation where, uh, just to point out, this is something we talk about or I don't think it's too heady. Uh, you know, in John 2, Jesus talks about that he is the temple, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it up again. And then once we get to the epistles, now Paul's telling us through the Holy Spirit that we're temples of God. Now we're going to house the Holy Spirit, the glory of God. And so you have to have the same frame of thinking that when um, Jesus doing his ministry says that he's the true temple, but now we today are the temple. And I just think in evangelical culture, we think of that as... uh, I always like when people use this verse for like, don't smoke, don't do things like that because you're the temple of God. I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, Those things are bad for your health. But what's even worse is sexual immorality. Let's let's not do that. Uh, And, you know, just using those things in context. But we're the temple now, uh, and we are called to extend the glory of God here into earth. And so let's go to John for the remainder of our time. John 1. And so again, this is going to be a little piecemeal, but we're going to, I'm just want to bring out a couple things in these in these verses. Um, I got I think I wrote them out of order in my notes how they come in the scriptures. So I'm going to go backwards in my notes. So the pattern of revelation, just like what we're talking about in Corinthians, is God reveals himself to people, and those people are going to then reveal God or Christ to others. That's our pattern. If you're a Christian, that's one of your callings, one way or another. Um, Because we see over and over, and just in this context, that Christ calls Philip And Philip is then saying, we found, or I found, the Christ, the one that Moses is talking about, and all the prophets. And so that brings in, I think he's very specifically, or the scriptures are very specifically putting in there that Moses and all the prophets, the one who we're talking about here, is the son of man, right? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's that a image of? What's he referring to? Jacob's ladder. It's in your notes. Good job. Uh, we've um, 
you know, John Weiss years ago did a, a really great sermon. It's on our podcast. You can find it about um, Jesus being the true. Uh, and he went through about like eight different things. And one of those was on on this verse, on on Jacob's ladder or the stairway to heaven. Um, it is a song. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's where the song gets its name from. There's also a, a 60s rock song called About the Handwriting on the Wall. Uh, and many other biblical influences in in 60s rock music sometimes. Um, but, uh, and so this is a reference that Jesus is saying, what Jacob dreamed about, what he saw was heaven opened up and there's angels coming in and out of heaven. And now Jesus is saying he's going to be that ladder, that son of man, Reference comes from Daniel, and he's going to be the one that opens up heaven, and heaven is going to be, there's not going to be what the view was. There's heaven, and there's earth, and then there's the uh, second heavens, or the first heavens, which is the sky, and then the second heavens, which is the stars and the uh, ethereal beings, and then the third heavens being where God dwells. And so Jesus is saying I'm going to be the son of man is coming. The one who Moses and all the prophets prophesied about and talked about. Uh, you're going to see that. You're going to see heaven opened up and heaven is going to begin coming down to earth. And so he very specifically references the son of man. So we're going to briefly look at Daniel. Why am I way back there? So Daniel chapter 7 is where whenever the Son of Man is referenced, um, that's where this reference is coming from. And so this will kind of end our uh, time for tonight because this is the pattern that Jesus is saying. So it's... Uh, there's other references to the Son of Man, but this is the one most referred to, um, and I guess would be the origin of it. <clears throat> Where are we sawing? Where are we sawing? Where are we starting? Not sawing anywhere. Okay, I'll just start in verse 9. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from behind him. A thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts sat in judgment, and the books were opened. That's a pretty scary scene. Nobody's, because uh, we're going to see what happens next, the context is nobody would approach that. Nobody would approach uh, streams of fire coming out from before somebody. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just casually walk up and see what's going on. No, this is like a terrifying scene. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. 
As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So there's the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, coming before the Ancient of Days in this terrifying scene, and the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man a kingdom, right, of everlasting dominion, will not be destroyed. And that's who Jesus is saying, you're going to see the angels, heaven open up and the angels uh, ascending and descending on that person. And so I want to skip to verse 26. Um, But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away and be consumed and destroyed to the end. The kingdom and the, the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And so we see that uh, Jesus is, anytime you're referencing the Son of Man, you're referencing these, uh, specifically this chapter in this account in Daniel, of where the Son of Man receives the kingdom, and then he's giving it to his saints. And all the other dominions and kingdoms are going to start serving that kingdom. And so that's our task. Uh, that's what we should expect. That's what we're living for. Uh, but uh, think about that in, in context of that when the Son of Man, when Christ gets his kingdom, when the Father hands it over to him, he's preparing it to be handed over. And Jesus puts that in context of heaven and earth are beginning to meet. Because the Son of Man is, is where? It's a vision in heaven, right? It's a, it's a heavenly vision. It's not a vision that then the Son of Man is coming down to earth and doing various things. There's other kingdoms that are going on. And, and in, some of that's presumed that he is on earth. If you read it, you have to assume that the, the beast and the nations are here on earth. But he's passing that kingdom along to others. Just like Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and is passing on the revelation of this is the Christ, that Jesus is passing on that kingdom. And that's where we live. We live in the period where heaven is still invading earth, and that's how we advance the kingdom, is, is to bring down a heavenly kingdom, not to set up a separate kingdom, but the same heavenly, godly kingdom. And so... Those are the things we should press out. So let me pray and, and then we'll, let's worship. Um, Lord, we uh, just call on your name that we would glorify you here tonight in our worship, that you would reveal yourself to us more uh, as we sing, as we submit ourselves to um, singing songs, to playing instruments and praying tonight, that you would reveal yourselves more to us, that we'd submit ourselves more to you and that we would be the streams by which uh, your kingdom advances here on earth. 
Amen.